This is a podcast from Minute Media. Yeah, I think I think the simplest way to say is get the players better, you know. And and there's there's a lot of things that can go into that, but it's I think um, in any it doesn't matter now whether you're a small market club, a, a big market club, you have to to be a sustainable product to have a winning team and to sustain it year over year, year in and year out. You have to develop players from within. Um, a major focus for us as we begin is going to be on on signing and developing players out of our Latin American Academy. We're going to put a ton of resources there. We, we I've hired a new Latin American director, Euclides Rojas. A lot of my focus right now is going into making sure that you can't just be all through this domestic draft. We need to have strong strong players coming out of our academy. And beyond that, you know, I really think that it's it's that blend of modern analytics, data, technology, with good people too. Like the people part is way more important than the data and the technology. I developed a curveball because that that my my plan with that was getting a breaking ball that was going to pair with my fastball that up to that point had good ride. It, metrically, it was a good fastball with vertical break when it comes to vertical break. Sure. Uh, so my my plan was to get a breaking ball that pairs off of that well, and then still keep my changeup as as my best out pitch. And so I, I developed that over the 19 off season, and then COVID hit and. Basically, I just had a ton of time on my hands, and I figured, hey, let's let's get a fourth pitch because that's only going to help. So it was a slider then. All right, welcome to Tigers Radio Pod here at MotorCityBangles.com. I am Rahelio Salasamis Uper and Chris Brown. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartMedia, and Stitchler. And if you're on Spotify, there's a feature now called the follow button, and you can follow along. So every time a new show posts up, it's in there. So the audio clips are courtesy of the word on Woodward. Talk to Ryan Darko, the new vice president of player personnel. And also the audio from the picture side was Cole Brisky, uh, who was on Lockdown Tigers. So the audio is courtesy of Lockdown Tigers and Scott. I had a fun conversation with Scott. I was like, just making sure, I just want to let you know, we're going to put some of your audio on the podcast. He said that was cool. And it's always give attribution. I thought, honestly, if you get a chance, if you like, you like our podcast, can't get enough. I, I highly recommend listening to that interview with Scott and Bull Brisky, who was the Tiger Minor League Pitcher of the Year, had some really good numbers. And again, it's just one of those things where the podcast community, you got to plug along and what have you. But tonight we're going to talk about what really was talked about on Tiger's Twitter, Tucker Bernhardt, not Nick Castellanos, which I'll get <laughs> on that rant in a second. And free agency, of course, the hot stove is kicking up. We get some really good questions about the labor union unity, what have you. So the off season's fully began. But first, gentlemen, the Tucker Barnhart trade caught us all off guard. I'll start with you, Uber. Well, okay, so what were you doing when that trade occurred? Yesterday, I was just, I was at work. We was watching some kids, not hopefully not beat each other up. 
<laughs> and I got that flash on my phone and I was like, I need you guys to be quiet for a few minutes while I read this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was quite a surprise. First day, um, the hot stove leak and uh, the day after the world series and boom, they make a fairly, it's not a blockbuster trade, but it's a fairly significant trade. That's a guy, if he stays healthy, then probably start 110, 115 games next year. And it's pretty good player. Yeah, we mentioned him on the podcast last week was uh, Clay Soden, and he was one of the first things we talked about. Chris, what about you? What were you doing? Uh, yeah, so I think that went down around, what, like two in the afternoon? Yeah. I think I was probably working, probably writing about Battlefield 2042, and then getting ready to go get my son from school. But yeah, it was, I think like a lot of people, it was mostly shocking that, it, that how quickly something like, like that happened. Because as you said, we, we talked about it last week, it, it's not... Barnhart was somebody that Tiger's Twitter and Tiger's baseball fans at large had identified as, hey, this is, could be one of the best options from a really lousy crop of, of catchers this year. Not that there's ever really a great crop of catchers in free agency. I, I was thinking about that the other day. And every now and then there's somebody who's really good, like a Real Muto or a, a Grandal, but most of the time it's guys like Wilson Ramos. Mm. It struck me, I think I joked with you, that they hadn't even wiped off all the champagne from the World Series trophy by the yeah, time the right. Tigers posted vomit too, I believe. Uh, yes. I assume they party pretty good. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was just shocking how quickly it happened. And then uh, the under, uh, ex there was a level of excitement that I think was understandable. Although at the risk of being like another negative, having another negative take, I, I, I felt like it was a bit much at some time. No, it's, and it's okay because one of the things that really made me laugh yesterday was, I'm going to say his name, Bob Page, who is, uh, is around in Detroit circles and. I actually like Bob Page a lot. He just says what's on his mind. He does not care. He is very opinionated, and he'll let you know it whether you like it or not. And I'm, he was saying that he's basically sick of this Pollyannist point of view or this optimistic point of view. And it's, dude, if you haven't read the website, if you ever, especially Youper, myself, <laughs> for, for goodness sake, man, I'm not going to go off and swear on it, but read. Listen to the podcast. You would know. It is a level. It caught us off guard. It was impressive because it, to me, I was working, I was running a data report for work. I'm still home, so I can't go anywhere. And so I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden, somebody in our Slack channel, the Motor City Bengals Slack channel, and I think somebody on our, our by the way, Tigers Discord channel is for everybody. So please, if you are a Tigers fan, take advantage of it. We talk in there sometimes all day. Props to Steve, props to Nacho Man. Is it not? Uh, I'm eating nachos. I'm eating nachos. That guy rules. And those guys, those people keep the chat going. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. We're not getting your private information because I don't care. Go in there. We talk tigers all the time. Anyway, back to my, what I'm saying was it caught us off guard. It caught everybody off guard because how aggressive it was. And then the argument that pursued was, oh, look at his batting average. <laughs> you got to go. What did our, our friend Lee Pannis said? Beyond batting average, right? Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, they his book. <laughs> yeah, so this is where I... One thing I would like to get back to is is things just being okay. Hey, that's an okay move. And, and for me, this is, this is... My main argument was... It was... I definitely understand why people would get excited because it was unexpected. It was slightly creative, something we, we've been talking about Alavila had not been creative at all over the last few years. They went out and they, they identified the guy that they wanted. They went and got him and they got ahead of anybody else by giving up 
a prospect. Nick Katana, who we've seen in person, you saw him this year and in 2019. I only saw him. Not a great prospect by any means. There's still some shine there because he was a second round pick, but he's under 200 batting average career in low A ball and some defensive issues. So it was basically like the Reds were just taking whatever they could to dump some salary. So I, I get the, the positive reaction on that side. My dog breaks out the squeaky toy again, right on time. But to me, it, it almost like, basically it was just a competent move. And I don't want to get too excited about basic competency from a general manager. It's the sort of thing we should be expecting. They should look at the team and go, there's a huge glaring hole. Let's fill it with the best option available. And, and that's what we should expect from a general manager. And I think people have gotten used to the Tigers not really trying over the last three or four years. So it, anything that looks like it might be a decent move, we get excited about. It, it, but this doesn't really move the needle all that much to me. I, and honestly, I think they probably would have gone after a catcher even if Jake Rogers hadn't gotten hurt. Because we look at who they have, Jake Rogers, Eric Haas, uh, and Greiner and Garneau, you have no idea what you're going to get from any of those guys, really. We had Rogers. You know, Rogers is out for the next year, but they, they had him for, what, 45 games this year or something like that, and he looked good, but it was a small sample. And Haas was DFA twice and was awesome for about a month and a half, two months, and then came back down to earth. So we, the Tigers don't really know what they have there. But I, like I said, I, I understand people getting excited, but I think it's just uh, it's a solid move, nothing to, to really get super excited about. I think the thing that I took away after the, maybe the trade was an hour old, you had a little time to let it breathe. I like the fact that, you know, the team was $45 million under the league average payroll this year. And we all said the proof's in the pudding. When are they going to spend the money to get better? And one thing they did was they leveraged some payroll, $7.75 million to make this move, to make the everyday ball club better. And hopefully that's a sign that some of the, the tap is turned on and they are going to be aggressive this winter because they have said, we're going to be aggressive. And again, that proof is in the pudding, but now they've made a fairly aggressive move and they put a little money behind it. It's not a huge money, but it's some money and uh, something the Reds are willing to spend. I think that was to me, uh, a little bit of light that I enjoyed seeing. Yeah. And, and the thing is that. And Mitch said it pretty well was the excitement was the fact that they got a player who could play at the major league level. And that's, to me, that's the most important thing because we're doing the history on that trade. He, to the, outside of technically the Javier Betancourt trade to Milwaukee, the biggest trade at that point he did with prospects was lose Luis Cessna and Chad Green to the Yankees for Justin Wilson. So it doesn't happen very often. I think that what... I get excited the what element is and what Chris just mentioned. The catcher market's not that good. You've seen today that Buster Posey is retiring. He was not going to go anywhere besides stay in San Francisco. But the, the, well, the point I'm trying to make is simply this. It is simple. It's a move. It's great. But there's more work to do. And that right there is the true testament. What Walter said is absolutely right, is that he didn't like hearing that this was a top, possibly the top priority. However, you, you think with Al Vila, sometimes it's just word salad. And I think he just, he means well. And I think sometimes he just gets overexcited. And I'm not going to criticize what he says at a press conference. It's the same argument that people made about, if the Little Caesars Arena, they're going to have the rubbing on, uh, the logo on top of the lights. 
Remember that? Everybody made such a big deal about it. It was not exactly like the picture. Same thing. People, Avila is a trained professional when it comes to some, when it comes to baseball, what have you. Sometimes in the press, it's a little different, and that's okay. Not in the world. I was hopeful that maybe that's our top priority among catchers. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I, I think it's very possible that what he meant was this was the one thing that they had to get right. Who are the other left-handed hitting catching options out there? Are there any? It was Christian Vasquez? Maybe uh, is he lefty? I don't know if he's a lefty or not. I don't think so. So that's the thing. Like if, if Barnhart is, he's not going to play against left-handed pitching. If this is a, a strict platoon situation, and it's an interesting platoon with him and, and Haas now. Haas. Uh, I think it's lefties and select, maybe mm-hmm. soft-tossing right-handers or guys who don't have uh, breaking balls or whatever. Because, yeah, Bernhardt's like a career 190 hitter against lefties, a 40 WRC+. plus. That's 10% worse than Grayson Grider <laughs> overall. But there were no other options. So I, I could see him saying, like, getting Barnhart was one of their main priorities because there's nobody else out there like that. Whereas a shortstop... You got Correa, you got Seager, you got Simeon, you got, you know, Baez if you have to. You can stick with Kreidler if you need to. They have a lot of different options there. But Barkhart was hit when it came to catcher. And in that regard, you do have to give them credit for identifying who they needed to get and, and going out and get them uh, for, you know, for cheap. Yeah. And not to mention, too, if you look at the main team of things with Jake Rogers, there's no guarantee he's going to be the same Jake Rogers coming back from surgery because. Absolutely. It's beyond the medical science of us three understanding this together. So it's, to me, I'm not a doctor or anything. And the thing ultimately, they just got it done and they move on. And Vila was saying that they're already calling free agency and, and free agents, what have you. And we'll get to that in the question part later because we had some really good questions revolving that. But it, the market today was that people were talking about Nick Castellanos' option in the outfield free agent market is just getting more and more stacked. But Again, let me just say this. No one was talking about him coming back to Detroit. Nobody, period, okay? <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion. His time here ended roughly. No, people want him back. And I, the thing about nostalgia, and I, I talked about this in an article recently, everybody loves to trade in nostalgia. People love, nostalgia is like a warm blanket around you. It, it comforts you when you think about the good old days. You think about, which is why you see things like Saved by the Bell and, all these shows that came back in the 90s doing well now because people want their fuller house and people want that nostalgia. They love that. They love to think about the, the good old days. But as I recall, people bitched and moaned about Nick Castellanos to the outfield constantly. I don't remember this entire in Chris. And I remember Chris, specifically Chris. And <laughs> you were talking about Nick Castellanos' defense before. And that, yeah, maybe a little Miami. That's a good one, Walter. But honestly, Everybody, I, we, it, to me, nostalgia makes you remember things completely different than what they were. If I think about, for example, I always wax poetic about my 1993 Escort station wagon I had in the late 90s, okay? I love that car. I love that car. I put over 200,000 miles on it. <laughs> it. You could take it, the key out and leave it running. It was three different colors, but I ended up got rid of it. The reality, it was a piece of crap. It was a piece of crap because... Towards the end, my alignment was so bad, I had to try to drive like this at one point. But I remember it fondly because it was such a durable car. So nostalgia, you have to take the nostalgia factor away with that. The Tiger fans want JV back. I, I'd rather them spend the money elsewhere. That's just me. It would be a good story. And I know you've we've talked about this numerous times already. 
But anyway, nostalgia is a is an MFR. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's also it should be noted that Dick Castellanos never hit. He was a good hitter, a very good hitter, you could argue, but he never hit in Detroit like he hit this year or like he hit for the Cubs after he got traded. And I don't necessarily think that who what he did this year is super sustainable in the future. Uh, it could be, but he's he's not without his warts, and he's not. Would he opt out of what was he going to make? Seventeen million, sixteen million? No, yeah, yeah. He's probably going to be looking for twenty million a year, and that's just not. I don't think that would be a terribly smart move for you. And it is interesting with, with nostalgia. I was doing a Royals preview right before, or before we went on the air, and it strikes me. And I know you people made this comparison before about you. Just the Royals are maybe not necessarily very similar to the Tigers situation, but it seems like their development as, as teams is, is along the same track. Yeah. It occurred to me that uh, Royals fans are probably clamoring to get Zach Greinke back the way Tigers fans want Justin Verlander back. <laughs> you know, Greinke who began his career there, the Royals and won his Cy Young there. And, and it's the same sort of situation where you bring in the, the old veteran to help teach the young guys. It's a little bit different though, but uh, anyway. Yeah, nostalgia, but bring back all our old players. Bring back Scherzer and Verlander and Avi Garcia and Jose Iglesias, and let's yeah, let's just try it again. That's nice. Yeah, or let's bring back, my favorite is the Don Kelly nostalgia people who just love the days of Don Kelly. And I love, Donnie Kelly, baby, awesome, what have you, but it's just so, eh, I guess because I'm older, like, I feel like the old man yelling at a cloud about that sometimes. My, my nostalgia really... Stems from the days of Debbie Cruz and Damian Easley, but I don't sit there and go, Yeah, I miss those late 90 Tiger teams that had ERAs above five. Those glory days are really in my mind about that. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> but no, but I get back real quick before we move on to the free agent discussion. One of the things I did like about the Ryan Darko interview was is that he really, Marcelo, <laughs> Mitch, yep. yeah, right there, there. There's another one right there. Everyone loves that too. But I love what Garko said about, he said something that stuck out to me in the interview. You can find it on Detroit Tigers YouTube channel. He said that if a batter's batting 220 low A, there's a reason why. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it, it stuck out. He's like, we're going to have to do something about it. And he emphasized walking more and then getting pitchers, getting more strikeouts. Things that to you and I, Chris, we talked about this numerous times on the minor league stuff before, even when we did the live broadcast is a, um, pro, pro, in terms of prospects, what have you, it's common to us, it's common sense and just system-wide everywhere else. It's just a good thing. But I don't know. I like the way he approached the interview and, and the fact that they're trying to develop Latin players is something huge. And you and I, and you we talked about this numerous times. Yeah. That's important. And it's vital to this team getting better. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not see that interview until you the first i heard of it was when you played that audio and i liked everything i heard in that little clip you played particularly and like i said it's something that we would harp on you just said it the the production they've been getting from latin america is not up to what it needs to be for them to compete annually we've seen other teams consistently bring guys from venezuela the dominican republic cuba and turn them into quality players and the tigers just haven't done that so that's a huge area of emphasis for me i think and for him, as he was saying, it, it's a buzzword of being like a sustainable player development system, being able to weather losses in free agency or injuries or things like that because you have quality minor league depth. So, yeah, I like the way he's talking. 
No, I want to see them put it into action. I, I, it's hard not to be excited about all the moves they've made just based on the pedigree of these guys or, or they basically uh, them coming from the Dodgers. That works for me because the Dodgers are the gold standard. Yeah. They basically, they've done a complete purge and brought in these new names with, from successful organizations. There's no reason why any team doesn't have a pipeline in the, in the Caribbean because mostly it's about work and effort and in building the relationships to get the right players pointed in your club's direction and, of course, having the money to back it up. And they just haven't had that over the years. It's been stunning. Like when they've had Cabrera and Carlos Guillen in their system, how they weren't dominating in Venezuela, marketing those two guys, yeah. that always kind of mystified me. Yeah, especially because the one thing about the Tigers in terms of promoting the Latin players in the market, or excuse me, in their system, really, it's been relatively low key because they've always drafted high recently. But if I was them right now, I'd be touting the fact that Gregory Soto is an all-star. You have Joe Jimenez really on, that, that, that they're touted. And they should tout that a little bit more. And, and to me, that's the most important thing to go and say, look, we've had two all-star relievers. Have we had any infielders? Not since you could talk about Omar Infante, Ramon Santiago, Debbie Cruz. That's really about it in terms of Suarez, of course, before they traded him. But again, no one knew what he was going to be. And we did get a couple questions in there in our chat. Noah Stevens on YouTube. You think the Cubs will trade Jason Hayward for more prospects? And then we did a question about more like most likely short stop scenario, which we'll get to a little later because we did get a question about that. And Walter asked if there's any free agent relievers you all have on your radars. And I did an article about that at Motor City Bengals. And so those are guys. And there was something, too, that people like, well, Elvio said that he's not going to address that. And I mentioned that in the article. And they could go within, like, with guys like Angel De Jesus or re-signing Willie Peralta, who I think is better in the bullpen because his stuff is one, two through the order. It's great. But third time through the order, and especially getting a little older, I don't know if that's going to play out the same way. He did develop a split-finger fastball, which I think would be a good play for a sixth or seventh inning guy, or a guy who can go from the fifth to the eighth, what have you, if he's doing really well. But the uh, Cubs question, really, if the Cubs are going to continue to dumping salary ways, it makes sense for them to trade and just get prospects. Yeah, I'm sure they'd love to get rid of Jason Hayward. I don't know if they can. Isn't that the, the issue there? He's basically a glove-first outfielder now with who's making, what, $20 million a year? Yeah. Was it even more than that? I, I haven't checked it. So let's see, what did he do this year? He hit, it's a 68 OPO WRC plus this year from Jason Hayward. Hit 214 with eight home runs. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, and then let's see the five seasons before with Chicago, he's been a one war, 1.1 war, 2.1 war, 1.7 war, 1.9 war, 0.3 war. Uh, Those are the numbers you can find on the street. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I think they pretty much, they pretty much, they moved everybody they were going to move last year, but maybe the exception of Kyle Hinder. Well, and, and Contreras, I thought maybe the yeah. catcher, but yeah, I, I, I don't think they could, I bet you if you went on baseball trade values, Jason Hayward would have a pretty negative value. Uh, not that's necessarily all the truth. I think I, when, when the Tigers traded for uh, Barnhart, I, I decided to look that up and according to baseball trade values, the, the Reds won that trade. <laughs> Nick Catano is worth 2.5, whatever, at Barnhart was 0, 0.0, uh, which is silly, but that's like just for fun or general ideas. Yeah, there's some really good stuff on there. As far as Quintana, when I saw Malik win this year, the one thing that was still evident 
was it's over swinging. Even with the strike zone that's automated down there, it seemed like he was still over swinging everything. Like when we first saw him in West Michigan in 2019, defensively, he wasn't bad either. And there was talk about his wrist issues that were causing some of the issues, some of the problems. But in all honesty, I just I saw a guy who was lost to play. And what well, they developed him in the second round was the 2018 draft, Chris? Was that or the 2019 draft? He was 2019. Yeah. He was uh, after Riley Green. That's right. Yeah, it's it's uh, the power of first impressions, man. We've talked about it many times. We went out and saw him strike out four times in four at-bats the first time we saw him play. And they were not competitive at-bats. They were like three, four pitch. Maybe one of them went to a full count. But, and yeah, that was basically his whole experience there in West Michigan back in 2019 to the point that they sent him back down to Connecticut, right? Yeah, they sent him down to Connecticut. Wow. And, and when, Chris, we saw him two more times that season. So it wasn't... And we've talked about this, and I, I got to give credit to Chipman about this. James Chipman has ta- taught us, and I've learned a lot of this also, too, from J- uh, Jeff Pontus, who, by the way, congratulations to him. He's a new writer over at Baseball America. I want to yeah. give him a shout-out because Jeff is a good people, and I've learned Former a lot. Former podcast guest. Yeah. Yeah, Former podcast guest. And speaking of Baseball America, there might be another guest coming next week, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm superstitious about that. But, yeah, anyway, so Mr. Matt, that's all we're going to say about that. But, no, it's one of those things where – I think that you need to look at a prospect three or four times before making a, a judgment. And I talked to Jay Markle about this from Blessy Boys, and he was one of the last people to defend Nick Quintana, and I just couldn't do it after a while. It's like I, I saw what I saw, and again, I'm, I'm a chubby Hispanic dude, but I'm telling this right now, it was we're all in agreement about it. <laughs> Not sure what being chubby or Hispanic has to do with anything, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like I'm. I'm not a white guy. Um, well, what I'm saying is, I'm not a professional scout. I just see from no, the unit. This is why area scouts go to games throughout the entire season. They keep an eye on guys, see if the progress that they made. You, you think about JJ Blade, who was, uh, what did he go fourth overall in yep. 2019? Yep. Yeah. One pick ahead of Riley Green. Kind of college, us performing with Vanderbilt, great hitter. Had a really rough year this season for the Marlins to the point where people were like, I don't know, man, he, he might not. And then in the last couple of weeks, he changed something with his hands and seemed to pick it up. And he's been hitting well in the AFL. That doesn't tell you a ton, but it's one of those things where you, you got to keep your eye on prospects for longer than just a few games. But there are certain things you could pick out pretty quickly to let you know, hey, this could be an issue. And Nick Katana almost immediately looked to me like he had a grooved swing. Like basically, if you're going to pump him fastballs down the middle, he can hit them pretty hard. But if you're you know, moving it around the zone or throw, put a wrinkle on the ball, he had trouble. Uh, and he, it's not that he doesn't have a good eye. He'll walk at a decent clip, but he just couldn't manipulate the barrel. And that's something that you can't. I think that was one of the issues with Blade. And, and moving his hands maybe allowed him to do that a little bit more. But there's only so much you can change with a player like that. Yeah. Yeah, especially because we mean, we look at guys in the Tiger system who've made adjustments. We saw. Eric De La Rosa go from overswinging and just be too aggressive to be more patient hitter going back on the ball and starting to hit the ball in all fields, especially I saw in Lakeland. It was a, it was a completely different hitter than what little video we saw at him at Connecticut and at West Michigan the first time because he was there in 2019 and he looked like a completely different hitter. And so it's the same principle applies for Ryan Kreidler as well. If you look at heading into this season, Ryan Kreidler was literally, when we were putting up the board together, we saw him that he was talked about being in, in double in the 
flight of the camp. And we saw that and we were like, oh, that's interesting because he didn't seem to make any waves beforehand. And all of a sudden he came up out of nowhere. And so that's the stuff you got to pay attention to. You guys pay attention to Wilma Flores right now in the AFL, who's pumping 95, 96. Chavez Fernander, who I liked early on at West Michigan because I thought that he had a good movement on his fastball and it seemed like he had just two pitches at the time. He developed a third pitch down in the Erie and that's a guy who was drafted in the 32nd round. I, th- I thought it was the 36th round. Oh, you might, you know, I think you're right, Chris. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. Either way, anybody had the 30th round. Okay. He, he doesn't even know which round it was at getting that late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's a, uh... And your point is well taken. You got to give these guys time. To, and like, we're not closing the book on Nick Quintana by any means. I just, I think there's a reason the Tigers were able to part with them. Basically, as we said, the, the Reds were either going to give up Barnhart for nothing and have to pay him $500,000 or they're going to trade him and you get anything in return. And uh, so that, that tells you that uh, in their mind, Nick Quintana was worth about $500,000. Uh-huh. They, they probably had a decent grade on him. And they're yeah. here. So well, I think, take a chance. We talked about it. I think I mentioned it in that podcast with you and, and Jeff, where doing some random draft stuff, I stumbled across some pictures of the Oakland A's draft room or draft board from that year. And they had a katana in there, like in the top 40. Yeah. Which was super fun to be able to see that and look at like, Hey, who, you know, who do they have there and there? I mean, I, I think that there was definitely some buzz on him. It's not like the Tigers made a huge reach there. I, I, there were some people who didn't like him. But yeah, and in the end, you could say it worked out. Yeah, they, they flipped them for a major league player, which is good. Just about any time you could do it. So, all right. So, looking what at the other free, question about oh, relievers, yeah, free agent relievers we had on our radars. And me, it's Bryce Elder Iglesias. Ooh, I, I don't know how expensive that'll get, but if there's enough relievers out there, maybe that drives the market down slightly. Boy, that's a pitcher I like. I really do. It doesn't walk a lot of guys. He can go four or five outs, whether he's pitching the ninth, pitching somewhere. I don't care where he pitch him, but I, I like that pitcher. He gives up a few homers, but he doesn't walk anybody. So they're all solo shots. So that's not so bad. Yeah, no, uh, you did it. The, the piece you talked about, you mentioned what, four or five relievers in there? Yeah. So I mentioned Corey, Corey Cable, Nabel, the former Tiger who was spending time in the Dodgers. He only pitched in 25 innings this year. He was, he had a right lat strain i believe it was and so he was out for a good part of the season but he pitched 25 innings it was very effective i thought again when i mentioned earlier about willie peralta the other one i'll mention was because of lack of lefties and what well, derek holland declared for agency mm-hmm. so uh, i was thinking about aaron loop who i remember him more in toronto than i do as a met but he had really good numbers for the new york and i thought his delivery style would be something that you could see playing with here and then my favorite one is michael Givens who was in Colorado, that yeah, traded to the Reds, and I thought that his stuff is really good. He's got a good fastball. He's got an unorthodox delivery for, well, somewhat unorthodox for a right-hander. And, again, the reason why I like his stuff, too, is because it plays into the backup closer role just in case something happens to Fulmer or Soto because he has experience. He closed in eight games this year for Cincinnati, and he pitched in Colorado, and kudos to him, put up some decent numbers in Colorado all things considering, and I know his whip is he gives you a slight pause, but still, it could be maybe something that, I'm not saying Chris Fletcher is a cure-all of everything, but could look at it and maybe think about it, but give us to me that mid-90s fastball, I think there's so much upside to it that, again, 
you have to fortify your bullpen. I'm sorry. I, I, I agree or disagree with me, I don't really care. To me, what the bullpen did this year is truly remarkable. But you can't say it's a set thing because injuries happen or whatever in age happens. And so if they can get an arm that can help them and be an upgrade, by all means, go for it. Yeah, I haven't really dug into the relievers too much. I mostly because I, in my head, I just don't picture the Tigers adding to the bullpen, but they probably will. Teams always do. And then with relievers, it's always such a, like a, a crapshoot. You don't know who be awesome this year at, or, or suck. Um, but there are a couple brands that I think are vaguely interesting. I like, uh, like maybe take a, a look at Brad Boxberger. And what about Brad Hand? Like Brad had a rough year, but he was pretty darn good for many years before that, and he's not that old. Uh, you'd think you could, I think he's 32, 33, something like that. You'd think you could get something out of that. But these are situations where you could probably just give those guys spring training advice or sign them to one year, $3 million deal. It's not, I, I like Rysel Iglesias, or if they want to go after somebody like that, but it doesn't feel like that's a priority to them to go out there and get like a high, a real high leverage reliever. Right. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely, one area where you can go out and find some interesting players and tournament and stuff. Like we've seen, we talked about before, like the Rays and the Brewers in particular seem to have these random 29 year old dudes who were like, who were mechanics a year ago. <laughs> and now they've got some weird thing where they're throwing from a funky angle or doing one thing that just makes it hard for hitters to square them up. And uh, I don't know, maybe the Tigers will develop into one of those kinds of teams that just can get open arms from anywhere. Yeah, that would be awesome. And if you was, ideally, like I said, it, they have some options down in the minors that we don't know what's going to happen to Alex Fado, which is going to be a starter or a reliever that is yet to be determined. And, and Michael makes a good point too. You can get relievers to the deadline. Absolutely. And so yeah. that could be the case too, where they might just wait till the deadline to strengthen up their bullpen a little bit. But the reason why I mentioned that is because you look at Chicago, the White Sox bullpen was pretty good. And they did what exactly, they gave up quite a bit to make that happen, but still they fortified it at the trade deadline, but they also had a couple of pieces in there, like the Tigers, similar to Tigers that were ready to go. But I, I don't know, like I remember the Joe Smith debate a couple of years ago, they're not gonna pay them that kind of money. And you don't want to pay bullpen arms that expensive. And I get that because they need things like shortstop, which we'll talk about here in a second, but there's other things they are going to need that are take time priority, such as starting pitching. So. The bullpen is something that I threw out there because I believe that you still have to keep that in mind as you were building out the squad. If you're going to be a contender next year and you're going to go after Chicago, you're going to need an arm that can stop the White Sox, potentially Cleveland, or if it depends on what Cleveland does this offseason too. That's a team I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to write about there, Chris, because Cleveland is a team that's they're going through a name change right now. They're going to be called the Guardians, but they're getting sued by the Roller Derby team, which, by the way, has a better logo. I don't know if you guys have seen, have you guys seen the Guardians World Rollers Derby oh, logos? Yeah, take that up. Chris, if you can, share it on the screen. If you can. Yeah, pull that up because that logo is actually better than the one that Indians came up. All right. Let's see. So as you do that. Oh, is it, oh, is it the, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Let me, the green and blue one? Yeah. All right. See if you can share that on the screen for people who are watching us on YouTube. Thank you for watching us on YouTube, by the way. We appreciate it. As uh, we continue the season, by the way, for the rest of the month, I think maybe outside of Thanksgiving, of course, we're going to be 
taking off. We might do something small and significant on Wednesday. Like, but that's about it. I think the rest of the, we'll, we'll keep going with podcasts, even with the off season strike. We, our off season mode can be very unpredictable. So did you get it, Chris? Let's see. Share screen. Like, what the... Is... Yeah, be a pick of whatever window you have there. All right. So, All right. Oh, yeah, I see it. And, and oh, yeah, see that. See, isn't that sweet? I know. Yeah. Anybody on YouTube watching right now, does that look sweet to you? It, I don't know. I like that logo. Yeah, I'm looking at. Uh... In a way, doesn't does it feel like if you look at it, Chris, don't you? I like those tank tops. <laughs> But don't you feel like the wing part right there where the G is for the Guardians logo, the mm -hmm. one looks very similar to the, yeah. the wings the, on the helmet? Yeah, I, I assume that's related to the the statues, the Guardian right. statues. Yeah. Uh, so in both cases. But yeah, I, yeah. It, it's not kind of, it's not shocking that they're getting sued. There's a likeness there, I'll say that. How they overlooked that is unbelievable. Thought they could get, didn't have that buttoned up before they made that announcement. It's shocking. I'm going to run and grab a drink real quick. Just a second. Right. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. You know, and like I, like I said, there's a lot of people who wanted the spiders. And I thought the spiders were like some of the logos I seen for the spiders too was really well done. But apparently Cleveland did not want to be associated with the arachnoids. At what's yeah. Is it arachnoids? Is it, yeah, arachnoids. Yeah. But yeah, we're getting some feedback right now. Walter agrees it's better for sure. Absolutely. I still think that is, especially the color scheme, it's hard to pull off that kind of green. You yeah. In, in that kind of teal i mean unless you're the san jose sharks but in or the seattle kraken oh yeah the crack oh nice, nice. You know? yeah <laughs> what's cracking yeah what's cracking oh dude that jersey the logo's kind of eh but the jersey but yeah i know all the new jerseys that i've seen recently i like the kraken it's only you have wesley you have liam nielsen for the rest unleash the kraken unleash the kraken yeah you can say that forever, but let's go into the free agent talk a little bit before we get to the questions and we'll recap AFL action here in a second. But what I wanted to discuss was the mark free agent market, what's out there in, in terms of, and we talked about catchers earlier, for example, it's what, in terms of a not very young free agent market when it comes to catchers. So some names real quick, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you have Jeff Mathis, Stephen Voish, Jan Gomes. Christian Valkes, who that's a club option. Kurt Suzuki, Chance Cisco, so some of the names. And then you go to first baseman. Of course, the Braves are gonna re-sign Frey Freeman. He's gonna be a Brave for life. So there's no there's no I, we're not gonna do an article. Oh, what if Freddie Freeman? No, it's not gonna happen. Brandon Bell, Yuri Garal, who won the American League batting champion, which kind of is the most quietest thing. Uh, we have a Cuban batting league champion, and we have a Cuban MVP. And Jorge Soler, who, by the way, every if anybody remembers the 2019 Tiger season, he was the biggest Tiger killer. Six home runs at Comerica. Yeah. Yes, yeah, six home runs. He was always just, and I think there's a game where he drove in like seven runs or five, no, I think it was like five or six runs in one game. And But congratulations to Soler, who had a monster. That was a shot that hit the, I think it was an apartment or, you know, it went out of the root stadium, right? Yeah, it went over the train tracks and into, there's like a little foresty wooded pavilion over there. Yeah, you know, he had a Monster World Series. It's just, it's, it'll just show you again one of the strange things. He was literally, we both, maybe all three of us mentioned him in our Good, Bad, and Ugly segments this year. He was literally the worst player in baseball by war when the Royals traded him to the Braves. He was like a negative one and a half war. 
and you know around and that's one of the, the most interesting things about the the Braves title run was how they completely remade their outfield on the fly and all with kind of middling guys yeah and they went like basically four for four in yeah there's who turned it around <laughs> yeah that, that switch it just it's one of those fun things about baseball man where the Astros had one of the best offenses of the last 20 years this year. It wasn't the best Astros offense in the last few years, but it was still by team WRC plus it was 116, which is like the top, top 20 in the last uh, few decades. And they went out there and did nothing. I think what did they slugged under 300, I think in the two, uh, no, two homers. Yeah. So it's just that weird thing. And, and we, t- did the Tigers go five and one against Houston this year or four and two, either way, the, they beat up more than they lost. And it's just one of those weird things where just get to the playoffs and anything can happen. If you're the hot team at the right time, who knows? Yep. Yeah. yeah. The Braves are an 88 win team and didn't have Ronald Acuna and they won a world series. It's no predicting. Yeah. I know there's some people out there who were upset the Braves won and they were like the 06 Cardinal kind of situation, but. Reality, the Braves on paper, I think the Braves were better than they were on paper. They had good pitching all season long. Charlie Morton, we've talked about him numerous times. He had really good numbers throughout the season. And for the Braves, for for the first time that I can recall, they did a trade deadline move that worked out and actually panned out because they've done stuff like this before when they were contending all the time in the 90s and they never really seemed, outside of Fred McGriff, of course, that was a trade that paid up, that panned out for them. Yeah. Long term, that was a trade that kept going that helped them out. But in terms of that year, 1995, I'm trying to think of that. I can remember a, trade, a significant trade, but I can't off the top of my head right now. But I really believe that the Braves, in terms of how they built the team through international signings and just getting it done in terms of even developing their own pitching, it's a testament to good team building. And I think that they'll, I don't know if they're going to repeat or not, because baseball, what I love about baseball is that you can't predict that kind of thing. It's not, Dioceses are so hard to predict in baseball. It's the, if you look at it in the last three years, we have what, three different, we have the Nationals. And Walter brings up a good point too. Would they have won with a Cuna and no trace to replace him? We don't know. No, <laughs> I, I, I would like to think so because Ronald Acuna is one of the three or four best players in baseball. But you never, yeah, again, you don't know. Maybe Eddie Rosario going ham in the National League Championship Series. They have a good year go out there and struggle for a series. Exactly. Maybe it's the same thing with Solera in the World Series. You just don't move. It's such, once you get to those small samples, anything can happen. Yeah, especially because they had so many questions about us coming this year about uh, Swasby. They they had questions about the third baseman drawing a blank on all of a sudden. Uh, Austin Riley. Yeah, Austin Riley. And the only thing I can remember about the Braves beginning of the year that was that cracked me up was is that uh, the Travis uh, Dermet or Travis. Um, who the Tigers traded for Shane Green for. Yeah, Demerit was back in Atlanta. And I was just, that was my only little side joke, boy. But all kidding aside, it was a impressive win, 7 nothing, And they won Hanley in Houston, a tough place to play. They didn't choke with the Falcons. And that's, they didn't want to have that Atlanta label to them. And, and thankfully, the ATL, as Outcast would say, got it done. And, and again, whether, I, I know there's a lot of people who didn't like either team. But it was a good World Series to watch. I, I personally, I think. But I don't know what you guys thought about the World Series watching. But uh, yeah, I thought it was you know, uh, really solid. 
I enjoyed it. I've been uh, semi-following the Braves my whole life since they were on WTBS back in the 80s and watching through the 90s. I had a little, we were talking about nostalgia. That's how I felt last week. So I was rooting for the Braves. I had them winning in six and they won in six. So a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> I mean, as far as the Braves are concerned in this area where I live, people know that Steve Avery went to Taylor Kennedy and he was, was in the, they, he led him to a state finals appearance. And he I mean, was not only a good baseball player, he was a good basketball player too, but Avery's squad I actually knew the catcher too. I actually worked with the guy who caught him. And the reason why they lost is because he was out of innings. They had the innings at the time. And, but Steve Avery, everybody in this area, in the Downriver, Michigan area, loved Steve Avery and loved the Atlanta Braves. And there was just everybody in high school, not a lot. When I was in high school, not a lot of Tiger fans. I was probably one of maybe two or three I can recall that was diehard. I wasn't going to change my allegiance. Now, when it comes to Lions, it's a different story, but I'm not going to get into that because then Lions fans are like, oh, yeah, you. A fence rider. No, I gave up on that. I gave up on that narcotic 10 years ago. I'm done. I'm done. Honestly, you, you like, if you like the Lions, cool. I'm not going to diss your fandom, but I just, I, I look, I've already sat through a lot of bad baseball, the Tigers. I don't want to sit through football. Sorry. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, a team wins, I'll be like, that's cool. But I just... I don't know. Anyway, not either there, but in terms of free agents for first baseman, which I'm going to ask you guys a question about this too. Are the Tigers going to, because we, you and I have talked about this, Chris, and I think you would agree with this. We're not sure if Spencer Trogles is going to be ready come spring. Mm -hmm. Maybe he might be ready in the middle of summer and what have you, but I don't know if he's going to be ready for spring training. Do the Tigers go after a bat like, let's say, Brad Miller? I know Anthony Rizzo, not going to happen. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be negative Nancy about that, but I'm just being realistic as possible. But you have Danny Santana, you have Todd Frazier, who I, forgot, and I thought he retired. He's still around. He was in the Olympics. You, oh, that's right. Yeah, good call. <laughs> but are the, should the Tigers go after a first baseman proper? Uh, I'm going to say, personally, that's why they, they brought Scope back. Stick him at first until Torkelson's ready. If that's what they're going to do, uh, I, I, I personally think that the best place to spend money in free agency is at the top of the market. So I wouldn't spend that first base money, obviously, but they should just get talent and get a good hitter. I don't care where he plays, and then you make the pieces fit. That's why I, I saw some stuff on Twitter today that the Tigers don't need outfielding. Who is really irreplaceable in the outfield? I don't think anybody is, other than you've got to save a spot for Riley Green. If you could make an upgrade there, then you could put scope at first base in your fight. For instance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't picture them going after anybody who is uh, strictly a first baseman. Like Brad Miller is vaguely interesting as a guy who could play in multiple positions. Uh, I think Mark Canna could theoretically play first base and the outfield and things like that. Like they could look to address it that way but i do think that they'll probably just go ahead and stick with scope slash cabrera until uh, until torkelson's ready yeah I mean, it, 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 if, if something crazy happens candelario is it always an option at first again too they have other people who might be able to play third so yeah i don't think first base is that key for them that, that was one of the things i actually had brad miller as a potential option for the royals this offseason because they also have as you wrote in this piece uh, a couple months ago, 
The Royals have a couple of very interesting young hitters, one of which is a, th- a first baseman, Nick Prado, who might not be entirely ready, but will probably be up playing regularly by the middle of the season. So they're another team that could go and maybe take one of those guys who, who can play first base, but also make play the corner outfield. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, he's he put up some AAA numbers, but again, I always look at AAA numbers at, with a grain of salt to a certain extent because AAA is so much different than the regular, the, the major leagues. For example, there's always talk about Adrian Rodriguez to get called up and what, what numbers we put it up. But again, you can ask, there's some people that we talked to that said he couldn't get an off-speed pitch to save his life. And so it's a different, that jump from AAA to the major league level is so different. And so you can't, 375 with 30 home runs or whatever the numbers are in AAA, you got to kind of look at it and go, especially now that the, it's not the specific Coast League, it's AAA West or whatever the, whatever terminology. It used to be that you looked at those numbers in the specific Coast League teams like in Sacramento or San Jose or Las Vegas where the altitude's different, in Las Vegas especially, and go, okay, you have to factor in the ball, ballpark factor definitely plays a role in that. But yeah, again, if they wanted to do something at first base, that those are the names. Second base, of course, Marcus Simeon, or he's going to play shortstop, as you mm-hmm. indicated. Mm-hmm. Josh, good old friend, friend of the show. I'm just joking. Josh Harrison is out there. Matt Carpenter, Jason Kipnis, Jody Mercer. Oof. Yeah, Didi Strange-Gordon, who played on, I saw him on two different AAA teams this year, Indianapolis and the... Louisville, the AAA team for the Reds. So he was on, I think, four different AAA teams, I want to say. He was in Milwaukee. He was in Nashville, Indianapolis, and I think Louisville. I'm pretty sure there's a fourth team in there. Maybe I'm, I, I can't remember. But you know, I mean, I, did he even play second base anymore? Or I thought he was mostly an outfielder now. But he played, he played, I think we saw him at second for Louisville, Chris. I think. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't really remember her either, but yeah, there are a handful of guys who can't play second. I think Jonathan VR was a guy that we mentioned on the show once or twice. Uh, Javier Baez played second base once uh, Lindor came back, but I don't think that's another one where he ideally just let Scope play second base and not, not worry about it. But again, there are these guys, Chris Taylor did play second base. Yeah. These guys who could fill in at these various positions and then move around later. So, yeah. I love Chris. Chris Taylor is one of my favorite ones out there. That I, I love to have Chris Taylor is in this, on this team because I think he was. We're not gonna we're gonna not go in the outfield too much because we talked about that earlier. There's a couple of bats in there that Sterling Marte, Sterling Marte, which I got in the left. No, look, look, Sterling Marte would be awesome. Trust me, I, it's one of my favorite bats. The Mark Canha uh, was out there too. Mm-hmm. He put up a WAR four point three. So. Yeah, he's one of those interesting, like, I think I compared him to, he's like a Robbie Grossman, but more versatile. At least has, has proven his versatility before. One of those under-the-radar guys who might get paid a little bit more than people expect this year. Anyway, and then there, there have been some, I mentioned it in our Slack chat. I did not expect Yusei Kikuchi to turn down his option and become a free agent. Not that he's some great pitcher, and his results haven't been fantastic, but he's a lefty who sits... At 95 now with his fastball, I think. I feel like you could do something with that. So he, he's another interesting addition to the free agent market. There were five other guys who joined too, I think, right? There were like six guys who yeah, client options. or Yeah, Brett Gardner, Avis, Garcia in Milwaukee, Avisil, former Tiger. Mm-hmm. Also, 
see. Yeah. What was the other one? And Grand Canyon Canyon Super Bowl. Yep. Of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and what happened? Okay. So the other one that I'm going to, either myself or Kellen's going to do a write up about is John Gray. What the hell happened with that? Colorado just. You can say what the hell happened with Colorado. You can always say that about Colorado. <laughs> what the hell happened? Rocky what, Mountain. Whatever, whatever path making sense, whatever direction that is, they went the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely got the feel that the Rockies front office was barren to the point where they, they maybe had enough people to keep things running functionally. But nobody to think and plan for the future. Yeah, they had the yeah they had those vacuums. They had the robot vacuums running around doing nothing. And, and I remember listening to uh, the Kevin Goldstein's podcast, and they were talking to a beat reporter or a reporter followed the Rockies, and he was talking about how strange a situation it is, and how the owner there seems to care too much in all the worst ways. Doesn't he's like wants to be friends with the players. It doesn't want to. It upset people and, and it's deluded into thinking that they're better than they are. Like all the worst possible things you want from an owner other than being like super thrifty, but yeah. So who knows what's going on there? I, I assume that he and story are both going to be offered the, or, or tendered qualifying offers and turn them down and the Rockies will get a couple of draft picks and compensation. Yeah. It's weird. I think still think it's weirder than the Mets situation around who can't everybody that been cleaning interviews in New York and that's just a giant dumpster fire and the joke, they're becoming a running joke. And I know, I still think the Colorado situation is far worse because in New York, you could be, you could say what you will about the Mets and everything. And, and we make all the jokes, but still New York, people love baseball in New York. It's, you know, you look at our traffic numbers for fan side, which I'm not going to go into what exactly there, but let's just say that both the Mets site and the Yankee site do quite well. Thank you very much. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even though the National League East has somehow produced two of the last three World Series champions, I would much rather be there than in the National League West. Right. Of the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres. Who have very smart, they have the good, they have smart front offices down there. Although yeah. San Diego, you can go, what the hell's going on in there? But they still have, a, in terms of talent wise, they're still very good. Yeah, that, and then the hiring Bob Melvin was a good one when we talked about that last week. That was. Speaking of the Mets, apparently, did, did they. Declined to talk to him, or was it he? I think he said no thanks to the Mets. Yeah, so, like, another guy who, not a GM, it, it's the uh, a manager. Like, eh, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'll stay out here. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it's the West Coast. Would you? Let's yeah. see. They're both expensive neighborhoods. What was it? Long and they're in Flushing, right? Or Long Island or Mets? Are the yeah, the Mets are in Flushing, Queens, I believe. Okay, and so Mets. they're one of the, one of one of the boroughs over there. I'm not familiar with my New York geography, so pardon my. Ignorance, but still, the Mets. Yeah, it's gonna cost you money to live in New York or San Diego. Yeah, anyway, I think that MLE managers do okay in the salary department. They do <laughs> just fine. But in terms of AFL action, Chris, is there anything before we get to the questions? And I know Eric De La Rosa is still doing pretty well. Yeah, the Tigers. It, it feels like they just feel undermanned or underrepresented out in the AFL now. I think De La Rosa went one for six, and then I didn't see what he did today. One for six in the other game. You mentioned Wilmer Flores, who is throwing, you know, he's got a good arm, but he's not producing results out there, which is not terribly surprising in a very hitter-friendly league for a kid who's thrown all of 60 innings in a ball, low A ball, to jump up to the Arizona Ball League is, is a, a pretty huge leap in competition. And we've seen other young, like Marco Luciano is one of the best young prospects in baseball, and I think he's struggling pretty 
pretty badly in the AFL. So it's a big leap. Big go out there. Chavez Fernander, he, he's been pitching pretty well. Zach Hass has been getting uh, knocked around a fair amount. And then when you, when they play at home, we get to look at the stat cast data. And with Hess, it continues. Every time I look, I swear his velocity is, is down like another half a mile an hour. So he's sitting at 93 with his fastball and touching almost 94. Just not, not, I feel like when he was at the alternate site a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, he was like 97, 98. Yeah. And so something has changed there. I don't know what, what exactly is going on, but, yeah. and then Garrett Hill has been okay. I, I don't remember the last time. I think he started a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, there's not a, not a ton of excitement with having lost Green and Torkelson and Kreidler. <laughs> it's tough. There was that idea, by the way, it will probably do this next week. And I think it was our, our friend of the show from uh, the University of Toledo that mentioned that when the Dominican Winter League is streaming, we should do live commentary. And that's going to be a possibility. We just have to figure out when and all that stuff. But I, I love to do that. That's a good idea. And I think there would be. That'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they. I, I was looking. I was looking at that the rosters out there, and I saw Adolin Rodriguez and Dalva Lugo, but not a lot of other Tigers. Drew Carlton's out there. Yeah, Drew Carlton's oh, yeah. out there, and then there's a. Um, oh man, I got a blank. Gerson Moreno is out there too. Oh, right. So Carlson again is pitching for the same team he pitched for last year, and I forgot. Or I think I can't remember the name of the team right now, but I know it's the same team he was on last year. So Carlton. Drew Carlton's back down there, and who knows? Maybe I know Canelier usually plays for the the Toros, but we'll see if he does that again. As a, he had a good year, and of course, people are still shocked that he's a top ten third baseman again. I, some of the comments lately in, on some of our stories, I'm just like, "What are you guys watching? What, am I missing something here?" Or, and by the way, I just want to get this off my chest before we get the questions. It is not. What the what if story I did on Alan Trammell? The reason why I wanted to mention this real quick is who cares? Well, who cares? He got in the Hall of Fame. He listen, if he wins that MVP in 87, he gets in the Hall of Fame quicker. Okay. If the modern era baseball committee wasn't a thing, it wasn't, it didn't come into existence until a few years ago. He would have never got in the Hall of Fame or even gotten considered for it without this. So yeah, it does matter. Who cares? Get a, get the hell out of here. I didn't see that. Comments was just like, and, and it's just such a turd thing to say because, oh, what about Lou Whitaker? Of course, Lou Whitaker should go in the Hall of Fame. If you read the book, which I have right here. Looks. By the way, now's a good point. Uh, time to point out that uh, we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of Rogelio and I appearing on Local Four to talk about Lou Whitaker not getting into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, that's right. You can find that video clip online. Yeah, you're it's like, got nearly 400 views. Yeah, <laughs> and our beard is, uh, uh my beard yeah, is full I, effect. Your beard was in full effect too. Listen, read this book, okay? Jay Jaffe does a good job of talking about Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell because this happened before Alan Trammell got in the Hall of Fame, okay? Mm-hmm. So if he would have not, he didn't even get 15% of the vote was my point. If he got an MVP, 40%, and I think it was Sarah, Sarah, um, Trying to blank on her name. They mentioned 47% of people who got at least one MVP award got in the Hall of Fame. That would have helped Trammell. And that would have absolutely helped him. When Ozzy Smith and him came up at the same time, he had an MVP. Ozzy Smith did not. 
Well, and if, if travel gets in earlier, then all the hype that needed to go behind the, the movement to get travel in, maybe that shifts over to Donna Whitaker. Yeah. And maybe yeah. it by now. And yeah, people just use your imagination. Yeah. Right, well, just in general, you'll find that there's an awful lot of baseball writing that involves what if. What if, I don't know, the Tigers traded JC Vice? Or, uh, happy, Chris. What's up? What if? What What if I talk? had gotten to the stadium and before the Nationals signed Juan Soto? Because, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. They're sitting outside in the next room as a society. And what if they were also supposedly one of the few teams that was in on Mike Trout back in, in the, was it 2009 and said, uh, Jacob Turner? But no, I I think, and I posted the other day, and and Kurt was talking about it, how I I took a snapshot of the uh, Baseball America. They're rolling out their top tens right now. Uh, which includes their, when they do that, they always include their projected lineup three years down the road. So these 2022 top 10 projected lineups for 2025, I always laugh at them because they're always ridiculous. All right. I look back at the one from 2018 for 2021 and the only position they got right was Miguel Cabrera at DA. <laughs> they had Michael Fulmer as their number one starter and Bo Burrows as the closer and all that good stuff. Uh-huh. But all this theoretical stuff, mock drafts, trade proposals, a what if piece, a, a well-researched, well-thought-out what if piece. This is, yep. it's all just fun. It's, <laughs> this, this, you don't have to, if you don't want to read it, don't read it. You don't have to yeah. just come and go, who cares? If you, if you really don't care, then why don't you move on and, and do whatever? People have issues. Yeah, but there's some baseball blogs out there too, who just are snotty enough to act like they know everything and they want to not talk to people or you have to follow a certain curriculum to leave a comment for Christ's sake. So there's a lot of things out there I don't understand. And look, if I write a bad article, I'll own up to it. I will own up to it all day long. Again, did it exceed this guy's expectations? No, but I'm just, my, my whole point is this, read it. If you read it, cool. If you read it, if you don't read it, I don't care, but don't leave this who cares comment. <laughs> Think for a second. And just be a little more mind. I'm not going to your job going, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you suck at your job. Or, hey, I don't care. Who cares about you putting a car together? Or whatever the case may be. But it's, <laughs> whatever, it's fine. It just, I wanted to get that off my chest because I've gotten comments before that how to spell effect and effect. And that was my fault. I'll, I'll take responsibility oh. for that. Yeah, I wouldn't then change that yeah. one of the articles. Just cause, And I try, I, I always feel bad if I, like, if I say something about no, you make it be anything no, better. So I, just, so I just put it in there. But you know, I we tried before. I get direct messages. My DMs are open, if you will. Oh, yeah. Uh, direct messages for people telling me that, like, I wrote the worst article of all time and they don't understand how I get paid, stuff like that. And it's totally fine. But it, people, hey, they have opinions too. So, whatever. yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. And that's fine. It's just sometimes I just have to shake my head about it. If some of these opinions are just, okay, good for you. All right. So it's time for questions, Chris. We got some really good questions. One from the usual suspect, and we got some other ones today. So uh, yeah, I see we have four questions. At least those are the four that I saw. We, there might have been more, and I think we touched on most of them that were in the chat. Yeah, but uh, a couple of them were, were similar. The, the first one I saw was from Steve Butts. Uh, this goes back to Barnhart. He said, "As far as shots across the bar go, up shots across the bow, excuse me, go." The Tigers getting a jump on their competitors, targeting who they wanted and getting them is a very good sign for how this offseason could see. Hey, the Tigers being eager and going out and doing what they're going out and get Barnhart. 
suggests that they're going to be very active this offseason. I, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, you know, this morning I wrote something. I called it the Tigers are going through the, hopefully through the Great Awakening because we've been asleep for several years. And I think hopefully now is the season they have chosen to make that move forward. And I'm hopeful that the lockout doesn't stall what they're trying to do. And to me, that move jumping in on the first day was impressive because of the commitment of money and just the aggressiveness of getting the job done for a player that they needed if they intend to contend. So if there is a great awakening going on, that to me, it was a good sign. Yeah. One thing I, I don't necessarily look at it as a sign that they are going to spend a ton of money or immediately sign a bunch of guys. I think, as we mentioned earlier, it was a, a definite area of need and there weren't many options. So they went out and got it, got what they like the, basically the one main option. The one thing that kind of interests me and we all expect them or hope that they're going to sign a big shortstop, maybe a starting pitcher or two is, uh, and, and people have their favorites. Obviously a lot of people want Correa and Berlander. A lot of people want uh, Simeon or somebody like that, but there are options. So it, it could be a situation where the Tigers, I'm sure they have them ranked like who they want, but they may very well say, you know what? There are a lot of options this year. Let's let this play out and see if we can't get a, a better deal toward the end of the off season. But I, I guess in general, it, it does make you feel better about them trying to contend that they were so active so early, but in an interesting way, but I'm not entirely convinced that it's, it, it portends other really exciting stuff. It's really going to be interesting. If let's say there, everybody seems to think there's going to be a lockout on December 2nd. And let's say there is, and then everything gets frozen after that. Nothing happens. Does any team try to jump in this month and make a big move? And are there going to be players who are amenable to making the big move in November even though both sides won't know the extent of the rules that they'll come back under post-lockout, whenever that is. I just wonder if some of the big-name players would be interested in getting it done this month because their money, that, they're, they're going to sign a big deal before the lockout, and they'll probably sign a big deal after the lockout. It really won't matter that much. But do you think there's anything to the fact that since they don't know where the luxury tax limit will be, will teams who are up near the luxury tax now, will they have some hesitancy to do anything in this month in November where the Tigers are nowhere near it, obviously. So if they were to make a big commitment now, they won't care too much what the luxury tax is set next year. And that kind of leads into what Nick Swain's question was, which his question was a broad question, but can you guys talk about the CBA innovations and how it might affect the Tigers free agent positively or negatively? And, and, and you brought up a good point. And this ties back into what Steve Butts was saying. I, the, the answer to Steve Butts' question, yes, I think it does because you notice the Royals are always little, they get their, they have guys they specifically target within a price budget range. They're good. And then that's it. They don't mess around. The White Sox, the White Sox don't really need to add too much. The Twins are the dark horse in here. When I say that, it's because they've been tied to some big names. And Minnesota, was had a really disappointing 2021 season. They were expected to win division or contend for the division title, and they did not. So I think 
the Indians, the Indians are going to be frugal. It's just in their DNA, and that's what they're going to do. But I honestly think the Twins, a, a team like the Twins, for example, who also waited last year late to get in the game, they might do the opposite thing and get in early. And I think Detroit, it'd be advantageous for Detroit because I think through the negotiations, and you guys disagree or agree with me or not, I think there's a basis of a, a, a basic outline of what the players want to do and what the owners want to do. It's that stuff in the middle, the luxury tax you're talking about, Uper, where it's the neat, the little nitty gritty stuff like that. It's where they're putting their drawing their in the sand a little bit, and I think there, it's where Tony Clark is going to have to really, really either put on a united front because right now it, it looks like the owners have found ways to screw over the players consistently, whether it's imaginary collusion in the last couple of seasons where we saw movement, we didn't see movement until late or whatever the case may be, I think that the players right now don't, for the first time, I could players want the upper hand, want the leverage, but I think there's a fair share of players out there who just want to get their money and call it a day. It's not like it was in the 90s when Donald Fuhrer was the head of the association. They were like an iron fist. They are like, nope, this is what we're doing. We're yeah. United Front. And it's been quite, a, to me at least, that from Tony Clark is mad. He wants to get things done. I want to say mad, but he's feisty. But at the same time, honestly, I think there's if there's a lockout, it's just going to look bad for both sides because look at the NHL is back on ESPN. They are doing well. Donofer is a player, so I'm just saying. And the NBA right now, I mean, a lot of people turn turn off on the NBA right now. So right now, essentially, it's football, and you may TV ratings have been dropping, but baseball ratings been picking up. And there's a lot of things about baseball right now that's on the up, and you're gonna trade all that goodwill despite the fact that not a lot of people like the commissioner and just got to throw it all away. No, they, they got to get this done. I've been reading some speculation that I, it seems, seems to think at least, at least there's some group they cut there that both sides know the, maybe this can go into the spring, but it's unlikely that they'll miss a lot going into the season because neither side can feel like they can afford it. Mm-hmm. And there might be some truth to that. It just might be a, a long slog of a winter and then some kind of weird 10-day to two-week free agency period. Uh, and then they, they get on the field, you know. So it's it, it, hard to say what that's going to shake out as. Yeah, in, in general, we spent a lot of time talking about how this is going to be ugly in, over the last two years. But one reason I've come around to this thought that hey, they really aren't that far apart in, in much of this stuff, I don't think. I feel like it's not going to be that disastrous. Of a, There's going to be a lockout. I don't know how long it's going to last. But I feel like they can get this done. I feel like there's not that. The players have a couple things that they can use as chips. Yeah, we'll give you more playoff teams or whatever. Uh, but I, I don't know, because we got two questions. You said the Nick Spillane one, and also Deadly Ninja Bees had a, a very similar question about, he said, does the uncertainty of the new CBA impact the Tigers at all? They have tons of payroll flexibility. Does a possible salary floor hurt? I, I don't think a salary floor is going to hurt Tigers necessarily, because I do feel like they're going to spend enough money this year anyway, in this offseason. But you mentioned a, a very interesting thing I hadn't considered about like a team like the Yankees, who's pretty close to the luxury tax, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, would they go out and, and sign a $30 million contract right now, not knowing what the new luxury tax would, would will be? But one thing I that I was considering 
and this is something you don't really hear about baseball that much. So I don't know what the rules are, but you certainly hear about football signing bonuses. If somebody signs a, an $80 million deal and 40 million of it is a signing bonus or something like that. I could see a player theoretically before the lockout wanting to sign a deal and getting a, a big signing bonus. Again, I don't know what the rules are for that in baseball. Maybe they're not allowed, but just in case the labor strike turns out to be like a protracted issue, yeah. you go get yourself a 15, $20 million signing bonus and you're fine. And so maybe now's the time to strike. I don't know. I would think most players would probably want to talk to as many teams as possible, get a bidding war going if they can, but. Sometimes it's better to just uh, you know, get your money now and, and worry about the rest later. So I, know, I, I do think that there will be some hesitancy to, I don't expect to see a $350 million. I don't think Correa is going to sign here before December. But it wouldn't shock me if we see half a dozen players sign deals. I think, if, I think also if teams, if players are going to re-sign with teams, that could happen this month. Yeah, absolutely. Like if Correa decides to go back to Houston, which I think, by the way, is very possible. They got Greinke and Verlander coming off the payroll this year. That's 56 million bucks they're freeing up. You know, so if, if they want to make a big play and keep Correa around, that won't be very difficult for them. Yeah, it's, you do wonder if it's like a Scherzer situation where they offered a Correa a fraction of what Lindor got. Yeah. Uh, and then Correa went out and had his best season of his career. <laughs> so. He may be like, yeah, nice try guys. But yeah, well, he's played there his whole entire career. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, connections to the, the organization, a lot of feeling there. And if they offer him a deal that he thinks is yep. fair, then I could see him signing for sure. Cause I think that more is... money and I need it now. <laughs> I still think money and I need it. There you go. It's my money and I need it now. It's more money and I. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's all good. I forgot what I was going to say, but <laughs> I just think that Korea, money, Korea, spending money, signing back with the Astros. Yeah, the Astros, that's it. I think they are, you know, despite losing the World Series and despite losing Verlander, Greinke, and a couple others, I still think they have the core to continue contending if they keep Korea around. I, I could see them. I, I don't think this is the end of an era, just the fact that they lost this World Series. Yeah, you can do you can do worse than Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and the, the young, yeah, Kyle Tucker, the young pitching that they have. They're in a pretty good spot right there. So even if they don't get Correa, it, it would have shocked us if they go and get Seager. Or, I think Story is from Tekken. Yeah. And they do have a pretty good uh, shortstop prospect too. It's just named Pena, I think. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, in general, what do we I think, who do we think shows up in Detroit? Who plays shortstop for Detroit next year? <laughs> what do we think? You know, cards, that's a good question. I mean, it's the table for November 3rd or 4th. What is you it? know what? I'm, I'm putting my cards on the table because there is this consensus that people don't like Craig because he's a quote unquote cheater for the whole cheating scandal. And that's fair. To me, I personally think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be Korea. Like in my heart of hearts, I want it to be Korea. But it's going to be like, maybe like somebody like Marcus Simeon. If Korea signs here, then great. And I'm not going to do any stupid dares because truthfully, I would like Korea here. But I just, like I said, there's watching the interview I didn't in Spanish, what have you, about the pinstripes and all that stuff. He could be somebody that's just calling a bluff out there and everything. And Walt, and I think what Walter is correct about that too is that 
save a little money. I'm on the Ryan Kreider trade, or uh, Ryan Kreider should be the starting shortstop next year because he still needs another possible year. If he's doing well, then call him up and maybe he could play third, whatever the case is. But truthfully, right now, I think I'm going to go with Marcus Simeon right now. I think it's going to be the shortstop. That's my opinion. Again, I want Correa. I, but it's somehow my, my, the, the, my cynicism is kicking going, no, right? No, they can't. I stink. No. <laughs> I think it could be Story. I think they could go out and get Trevor Story maybe for a six-year, $150 million deal, which is still plenty of money. But you're jump. talking probably half, if not 40% of what Correa gets. And something that's not exorbitant and that not going to cripple you in the future if things go wrong. Now, Story... Didn't have a very good season, and you got the, the concern about Horace Field, but I mean, he had an okay season. He was fine. But yeah, I, I still think it's going to cost $350 million to get Carlos Correa, and I just can't see the Tigers going that that high. As much as we might like them to, I just I, I can't see it. So I think that they're, they may be a finalist for Correa. They may try with a couple guys and, and lose out. But I, in the end, I feel like, for whatever reason, I, I picture Trevor Story manage short stuff for him. I like both of those. As I said earlier, I think the best money to spend is spending at the top of the market and get the premium guys. I think that's where your money is best concentrated or where things work out. I don't think they're going to get Korea either. I, I just, I, I don't believe they have the gumption <laughs> anymore to lay down a $300 million contract or anything like they did for Miguel Cabrera a few years ago with an owner who is no longer uh, above ground. I'm leading Simeon as well. I think that even at his age, two of the last three years, he has been a phenomenal player. 45 home runs this year. It's picked up his defense considerably. People say the, the Blue Jays want to keep him, but man, the Blue Jays have a lot of commitments to, in, to take care of over time here. With that young lineup, when once they start hitting arbitration and other things, and Robbie Ray too, exactly. I'm hoping it's Semyon. And my other thing is, if it's not Semyon, I don't know who they're going to get. Maybe none of them. Maybe Chris Taylor. But I'm my money would go on Semyon. I'd like to see five years, but 120 million, somewhere in that range. I like this idea that, and Michael reminded me of it, and it was a good call there, Mike. So thanks for putting that in there in the YouTube talk about Tony Paul's idea about front-loading a shortstop contract since the payroll is so low in the next few years, especially when Carrera comes off the payroll. That's a very good idea. And one of the things that he also, Tony Paul mentioned too, that I, I definitely enjoyed today was, was something along the lines of, what was it? He, he was saying something about just sign them all, make it happen, what have you. And I liked his enthusiasm about it, but there was, it was just something along the lines of, there's something else he said too that, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden, but either way, that, that the contract idea was one of them, but there's another thing he said. Anyway, I, if they could do that, great. If they can do that, absolutely. G get it done and over with, because then they could front load the money that way. But the reason why I'm trying to, the reason why I think Korea may not come here too is, again, I'm not trying to be a negative asshole, but Detroit's not exactly a free agent destination city. People always argue about that. And uh, Tony, I remember, I remember what it was now too. Tony Powell said something like, who's, we don't want to spend any money. You're not spending the money. Fans are not spending the money. You're not. And don't make that joke about, oh, you know, raise the prices or that. 
hot and ready to make that happen. That's such an overplayed joke. I hate that joke. <laughs> Every time I hear him, I'm like, can we come up with something new? Instead of calling everything is, like, yeah. Add four more poker, t- poker tables at uh, Butter City. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fine. cliche jokes. But, no, but honestly, it's not your money. Why do you care so much? Because you think it's going to hamstring the team? No. I think the people they have there now are a lot smarter, and they're going to make things a little fiscally make sense. Yeah, and a front-loaded deal would be awesome. It's just a matter of if you can get a player to go for that. Or you could also do a bunch of deferred money, like we've yeah. seen the Nationals do a bunch. But you never really know what players want. But Bryce Harper took, what, a 13-year deal with zero opt-outs and at a less, uh, lesser average annual value just to have that, the length of the contract basically be secured until he's 40. Like, maybe that's what you need to do to get Korea. You give him a 14-year deal at $20 million a year. Like, <laughs> all right. What was it, the what? You guys, I think you for my nose. Remember that? What was the Islanders goalie's name that signed that ridiculous? 14... Was it Rick DiPietro? Yes. Thank you, Chris. Right, there we go. Yeah. Well, he's not. He was like a... Good call there, Chris. What was it? The uh, tenure deal or something like that? Or I he certainly may have been longer than that. Yeah. Didn't he play? Was he from Ann Arbor or he played in New York? Or he played for the Islanders. No, I don't think he's from the area. Yeah. You might be thinking. Uh, I thought maybe he Pat... played. He did. Did you get Pat LaFontaine? Former, you're not necessarily from Ann Arbor, but like played at the oh USA hockey. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think you might. I think you might be right about that. Actually, now it's in Plymouth too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking here. Multiple hockey writers considered one of the biggest draft busts in NHL history. Oh, here we go. Yeah, in 2006, the team signed him to a groundbreaking 15-year, 67.5 million dollar contract. The string of injuries beginning in 2008 limited to 58 NHL appearances over the next five seasons. That's such a, that was the dumbest. I, the Islanders have done a better job since Barry Trotz has been over there to clean up their act over there. I'm not, it's not an NHL podcast, of course, but still. <laughs> I'm, the Islanders are far different now. They're going back to Nassau, too, by the way, or Na- Nassau, or not. Nassau? Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. So, I know, it's easy yeah. to forget that the team won four straight Stanley Cups in the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. Good old Billy Smith and Brian. Yeah. Uh, Trottier. Trottier. Trottier, yeah. Mike Bott. Mike Bott. Oh, Mike Bott. Mike Gardner, or was he a Rangers? Oh, the, uh, he was Rangers. Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz has always cracked me up for some reason. I don't know why the net name makes me think he's always, he always looks like, box. It, but Trotz always looks like he's... We're just Trotz. The day, we're just... Yeah, the name too, but he always has... He just he looks like he's always stressed because his neck's always like this, and he's always looking at <laughs> chewing gum. And I was like, I always like when coaches in the NHL, they look at the clock like this, and they're always like this. Remember Pat Burns, good old uh, rest yeah, Pat Burns when he was with the Canadians. Like he was just, him and Mike Keenan back and forth were just chewing that gum to the point where it was just like dust. So <laughs> I can talk hockey all day. I can talk old hockey. Yeah, that's I, impressive. I, I could not talk hockey anymore after I, I used to pay a ton of attention to hockey. And then the last 15 years or so, I, I couldn't tell you much of anything. We did. Yeah. Uh, we have one other question yeah. from somebody. I don't know if we've ever gotten a question from Epic D3C before. Uh, no, we have not. I think who do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Who, who do you think we don't protect for the forty-man roster? Any predictions? Yeah, I, uh, and I think we've written some articles. Who wrote an article? But was that Austin or Alan? Uh, oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. yeah I don't, love that. Love that kid. Love that kid. Wait, we have. Wait, isn't that two different kids? Yeah. Oh, there's Austin. There's, the, there's a drummer, Austin, former SRD intern, and then we have Austin, Alan Pines. Alan Pines. Sorry. I, yeah, uh, and then there's. I love Austin and Alan, both. Alan's been a solid well, contributor. 
So basically, after today, when there were four four tigers who have been declared free agents, right? You, you, Willie Peralta, Derek Holland, Jose Ureña, and Julio Tehran. I think the 40-man roster is at 41. And there are a couple of players who need to come off the 60-man still. that will, will, Garcia's um, been extended on there, by the way. Ronnie Garcia. Uh, Ronnie Garcia? Yeah. Yeah, and then Jake Rogers will be on the 60-man or 60-day, and then they'll put him back on the IL at the beginning of the year. But there are like 10, 11 players currently on the 40-man roster that they can get, you know, remove without much worry, I think. Uh, just going through the list, I, I looked, like, you mentioned Drew Carlton. I don't think he's going to stick around very long. Miguel Del Pozo, Drew Hutchison, Ian Kroll, Nivaldo Rodriguez, who never made it up to the majors. We saw down in Toledo, and, and I didn't think there was anything particularly special there. The Garcias, Rony and, and Brian are potential uh, removal options. Grayson Griner or Dustin Garneau, one of those guys, if not both of them, I think is going to be off the 40 man. Jacob Robson. Jacob Robson. And I think we talked before about Nico Goodrum. They very well could uh, decide to part ways with Nico Goodrum. So, like I said, there's a dozen guys who they can remove from the 40 man roster if they want to. I don't think they will remove all those guys. They, they'll do it, but like on an as needed basis. Yep. And, and I don't think. There are a ton of people they, they have to add to the 40-man. We, we talked before that they're certainly going to add Reese Olsen because they just traded for him, and he's one of their top 15 prospects. And, and almost certainly going to add Cody Clemens, I think, even if they don't, I don't know, even if he's not a piece of the future, I think they're going to add him just because he's a triple-A guy and a middle infielder, second baseman, right fielder, third baseman, whatever. But after that, I don't know. They, they do have a small army. What's that? Yeah, there's a small army of pitchers that they could add. Like Garrett Hill, you mentioned. It's Fernando, Paul Richin, if they want to. Who keep this beard this year? I think he was hurt. Yeah. Logan Shore, if they need to want to. Angel De, or Angel De Jesus, Taylor Montero, Carlos Guzman. They, they have a bunch of guys they could add. I think Will Cole Hernandez is real five eligible again, even though he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Elvin Rodriguez. So, yeah. There are a bunch of things they could add. I just don't feel like they're going to need to. I, none of them strike me as guys who might get sniped uh, in the Rule 5 draft. So, I don't know. I imagine that they're going to... They'll, they'll, they'll have, like you said, uh, I think was it last week or maybe two weeks ago, they'll, they'll probably keep one spot open for sure for the, the Rule 5 draft just because you can always take a guy. Uh, it never hurts. No real permanent. Yeah, and then after that, I think they'll just kind of add and support guys as needed uh, in free agency. So it'll be interesting to, to watch. We talked before about like these other teams cycling through players. It, it, somehow this year, Tigers ended up with a lot more, like a lot more chap on the 40 man roster again. A lot. Yeah. yeah. And not to denigrate these players, but they're, they're guys who they can be added and, and dropped uh, without fear of losing, I think. It is. Nico Goodrum is an interesting name. I mean, does he, is he Rasputin? Does he get one more keep coming back to life here on him? It's going to be good old Nico. You probably should challenge yourself to get better than, than Nico yeah. Goodrum, but, but he shows just enough every year to <laughs> There's a, there is, there's always been a lot to like about Nico Goodrum. I mean, it's just yeah. his inability to make consistent contact from the left side. It's his big bugaboo. It was strikeouts because he'll walk in a decent clip. He's got speed. He's got raw power. 
He's shown the ability to be an above average defender at shortstop, like, and, and he's versatile and play other positions. It's, yeah, it, you can't really play that guy every day if you're trying to contend, at least not every day in one position. Yeah. It's in terms of even like minor league pitchers, too, some will be interesting enough to keep on the 40 man roster. But I do find it curious that Fernander is pitching the AFL. So maybe they're yep. showing him off as, you know, A or, or something to that effect. Or I don't know. And I thought that was an interesting decision because you look at some of the, but then again, I, but then I thought about it even more. And look, they don't really have a lot of minor league arms right now out of the bullpen that could help out because a lot of them that were up were minor league free agents. And yep. in terms of homegrown farm talent, Zach Hess, I thought, took a step back. You saw that, yeah. but we we thought sure he was to touch a season in Erie based on where he was pitching at in camp, and he started the season down in West Michigan. And so yeah. we'll see. It's that's a question that will we get an answer for November eighteenth, I believe. That's when they have to make a decision on a forty man, and so that's not too far away. Yeah, and then there's still the it's kind of unresolved. I I don't know if it ultimately will matter, but. Eric De La Rosa, Fangraphs lists him as not eligible for the Rule 5 draft until next year. But every other player from the 2018 draft that Eric De La Rosa was from is Rule 5 eligible, according to Fangraphs. Everyone who's not, who wasn't a high school player. And De La Rosa did come from a junior college, but he wasn't like 19. He was older. He was college junior age. So I don't really know. I feel like that's a mistake on Fangraphs' part, unless there's some obscure rule that I don't know about. Yeah, uh, and I, I think they like De La Rosa enough that they might protect him. But he's not a guy that I would really be concerned about getting taken and sticking on another team's roster all year. Uh, maybe a bottom feeder team, but probably not. So I don't know. Yeah, he's of anybody this year who has improved themselves in terms of stock, in terms of minor league rankings and what have you. De La Rosa is up there. Him. Brisky definitely have made an impression where Bill Brisky came out of nowhere. If you told me that he was going to be the pitcher of the year, <laughs> you're nuts. And no, honestly, I think, it's good. Chris. Well, I think uh, Brisky's first start of the year was a disaster. And I think I texted with our little group chat. I think I texted uh, you guys like, oh, what a disaster Brisky is. What a bump. And then every start after that was, was pretty great. So yeah. it's kind of funny. Um, Alter asked another question down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. So the other, yeah, this is the last question is, and I, I, you know what, those three players, Walter, I would love to see my Tigers uniform. All because I like Michael Stroman over Justin Verlander, big time. So yeah, for for, for listeners. Oh, by the way, is, is, the Mets have to make the decision about him tomorrow. Bye, oh, Stroman. Yeah, Stroman. Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, for listeners, Walter Briggs asked, "Is Simeon Stroman and Taylor too much to ask for this year?" I would like to see. I don't think it is. You're, that's. Strowman and Simeon are probably going to get 20 plus million a year. And Taylor is probably going to be somewhere in the 15 range, I would think. Well, so that's, we're adding about 50 million in salary this year. That's uh, 55. And then, and with Barnhart, you're talking eight. Yeah. So eight. another, basically 60 million that they would have the Tigers payroll of 140 million, which is totally seems totally doable. It's, again, it's not our money. I'd be happy to have them go up to 400 million, but <laughs> we're, we're just guessing on what they'd be willing to spend. I think that's doable. Uh, it's just a matter of, do those guys want to come here and, and 
is that really enough to get them? Because th- I think there will be several bidders for Simeon and Stroman and Taylor. It, it's uh, going to have to give them the years or the dollars that they want. So I like Walter's list quite a bit. I've been on the Simeon trade for a long time, but that's not to be a broken record. That's why I, I like Marte a little more than I like Chris Taylor because of the ability to lead off and steal 40 bags and hit with a little bit of power. I think they could afford him. I think at, at Marte's age, it won't take a five or six year deal to get him. I think you can get him on four years in, in somewhere around 80 million. And I think that's doable. And I think your outfield and your lineup is immediately better. But if it ended up being Stroman over Verlander, I'm a Verlander guy, but obviously Stroman has shown the ability to get by in the American League East. So he'd probably do just fine in the AL Central. I think that'd be a great signing. Yeah. I know a lot of Mets fans want him back. He was constant professional and he, a lot of tweets a lot. We love that. Yeah. It does feel a lot. And a lot of his opinions I like uh, (laughs) a lot. And he's, there's one today that I'm not going to get into because, but I did see one. He he tweeted something about how he would never shave his dreadlocks for anyone. Yeah. So he's not going to the Yankees. All right. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think there should be more. It's, Absolutely ridiculous that the Yankees require players to be clean cut. Like, what nonsense is this? It's nineteen. It's the nineteen twenty. See, yeah. it's uh, it's yeah. The, but a lot of people do it because it's it's the chance to play with the the Yankees, yeah. and I you have to respect that. But at the same time, it's it seems a little old. It's, it's something like, yeah. for example, like Connie Mack was the last manager to wear a shirt and tie in a business suit. When he managed, I think that actually is pretty cool because I love baseball managers that have that, like what soccer player or soccer coaches do. They're always dressed up to the nines. It'd be sweet to see AJ Hinch in some, you know, pinstripe suit or something, but not, that's not going to happen. They're like being in, there's a certain thing about being in uniform. And I totally get it. Look, even in softball, yearly softball, I was a player manager. I got kind of, you know, told. As uh, I was, you know, I wore a C on my chest. I was like, come on. And yeah, you're right. Steinbrenner, nostalgia. Yeah, that, yeah, that's definitely for sure. He was, he strictly enforced that. Except for Don Manley had a mustache though, right? Don Manley. I think they're, they were cool with mustaches or like neatly trimmed beards or things like, like they just don't want long hair and sideburns. I don't, it's just, it's absurd to me that you would, you're paying these guys tens of millions of dollars. I guess you could expect him to do what you want to there i'm gonna be a handful of guys who are like i i don't want to play for you because i don't want to do like you think back to being in, in school and i don't know did you have a dress code Melio? i know you went to a catholic school right oh yeah i had a dress code all through from first grade to 12th grade and the haircut i actually got suspended in fifth grade because my brother and i went to our normal barber which was in southwest detroit and we had a fade that had a line in it and our principal, who was a nun, flipped out about it. And we couldn't go back until we got our haircuts fixed. But we thought, my brother and I thought we were ostracized for it because reality, it wasn't even that noticeable. So we had to get a different haircut. And we were never allowed to shave it too close or do anything funky. This is right now the longest my hair's ever been. And I would not be able to pull that off in elementary school. And so that was something that always bothered me. And yeah, I've dealt with that. Or it was in high school. The high school I went to, by the way, had a different dress code until my freshman year because they got rid of striped lines because they want to be associated with gangs. Mm-hmm. We're now in Allen Park, Michigan. If you know anything about Allen <laughs> Park, 
Allen Park does not have gangs. It was stupid. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. So yeah, the official policy, all players, coaches, and male executives are forbidden to dis forbidden to display any facial hair other than mustaches, except for religious reasons. And scalp hair may not be grown below the collar. Long sideburns and mutton chops are not specifically banned. Oh, mutton chops. So yeah, I would just, I'm surprised somebody has a God like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. You just throw like a big, I look like a big ZZ top beard or like a New York Taliban. Uh, <laughs> I would not go popular right there. No, but that's my whole point was like, I, I remember like threats of a dress code being like a big deal when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Like it had, and me not wanting to ever entertain the idea of going to a private school because of dress codes. So I, I have to feel like there are baseball players too. No, I. It'd be cool to play for the Yankees, but I'm not going to come play for you if I have to not have a beard or have to not have cornrows or whatever. So whatever. I, it's cool that Marcus Stroman said that out loud. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. So on that note, yeah. though, I think we're, was that it, Chris, on the question lines? That's uh, all I saw. All right. Yeah. Here, here, no segments and we went an hour and 45 minutes. Something yeah. Like that. And that's what I'm saying, like, it doesn't matter what time of year it is going to be. It's going to be a typical show. It's just no segment because, quite frankly, there's no real baseball to talk about outside of off-season stuff. But starting next week, like I said, we're going to enter. For anybody who's watching us on YouTube, if there's a certain topic each week you like to talk about that's not baseball-related, like movies or music, we did that last year or, the, or, I'm sorry, the year before when when the, when the season was for my COVID. Actually, it was last year, duh. Then we could do that again. I love when... We get listener interaction. So if you're listening yeah. to the podcast, awesome. Give us some feedback and let us know because we're here for the people. We are here for the people. And I, I, I guess when we get more, the more interaction, the funner it is. And I always like interacting with people on Twitter. I don't want to be a gatekeeper and, and tell you how to leave a comment in the blog because that's stupid. And, and we did some of the if people have suggestions for teams, old, older teams to look back at. We used to do yeah. that too. And that was fun. Yeah, we looked back at the 86 Mets last year. That was a lot of fun. We did look back. Mets, yeah, we looked at, cool. yeah, we looked we back at a, a number of teams. I think the 2001 Diamondbacks. Yeah, the World Tiger team we look at, 87 or 84. I can't remember. Was it 84 I, Tigers? I think so. Yeah. Was that a good year? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Let's see, boys. I understand. The thing. Big Brother was watching. Yeah. <laughs> so some sort of crazy song came out in Bless You Boys or something like that. I don't know. It's crazy. But no, it's, uh, we will definitely, there's a lot of teams we can look at too that are non-contenders. One of my favorite Tiger teams that I look back on with a certain sadness is 1996 Tigers, which had the worst ERA of any team of all time. And I've done an article about it, but it, 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 this goes, this, uh, the 81 Tigers. And that was because yeah they got screwed over by the strike. And that was one of the, uh, in terms of on paper, you have a really good young core of Tiger players there. Yep. And that's a team that I believe was it Jason Thompson was gone by then, right? Though, right? Yeah, Pittsburgh? you want yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah, and then Steve Kemp was traded the following year for Chet Lemon, or was he or Chet Lemon's first year in '81? I, I think I think Lemon was there for that team. Yeah, and and yeah, and Walter, yeah, you're awesome, dude. So I, I love our YouTube audience; it's growing every week. And again, if you want to also contribute to our Patreon, that goes to new gear, which I wanted to show people what the new gear looks like here in a second. We did purchase something for next year for the interviews when we do out on the road for the for the minor league. And Chris, go ahead and kill time for two seconds while I pull that out. Oh, I, I went back and looked at this 81 Tigers team just for Bud. And it's interesting. It looks like Lance Parrish led the team with 10 home runs. 
<laughs> I, I know it was a shortened season, but still, 10 runs in 96 games doesn't seem like a ton. But they did. Uh, Kemp was there. Walking Puss. Yeah. Kirk Gibson. Yeah. 24-year-old Kirk Gibson. Richie Hebner in the house. The Grave Digger. Champ Summers. What the hell is that? Sounds like a fake nun, right? Stay at Poppy. I like that. Alan Trammell, two home runs, hit 258. Alan Let me tell you. Did, look, without looking, because Chris, I'm not looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. Aurelio Lopez was the closer, right? He led the team in saves. Kevin Saucier, yeah. Oh, the guy with the funky hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Aurelio Lopez had three saves. Because he was a closer, I think, in 82 or 83, I want to say. He did finish 19 games. Saucier, 165 ERA, 13 saves. That's not too bad. Oh, he had a good year. He, he actually, the final weekend in Milwaukee, I believe he struggled. He had a wonderful season until they needed him that last weekend. Uh, I think the Brewers got him. But Sochet had a good year, no question about it. He was... well, so here's an issue, I think, uh, looking back. This is just like a, yeah, an impromptu look at the 81 Tigers. So here's the rotation. You got 26-year-old Jack Morris with 14-7 and with a 3.05 ERA in 25 starts. Not bad, 15 complete games. You have 31-year-old Milt Wilcox with 12-9 and with a 3.03 ERA. Pretty good. You have 22-year-old Dan Petrie who went 10 and 9 with a three-flat ERA. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good one, two, three. The number four starter, Dan Schatzeter. Sure. Who went six and eight with a 6.06 ERA. Schatzeter had a great start to his career in Montreal. They traded him for Ron LaFleur. Uh, oh, that's right. And I thought Dan Schatzeter was good in Montreal, and we used to get Montreal baseball up in the UP. I watched him pitch. I thought, oh man, he's going to be great. And uh, no, not so much. Yeah, yeah. He let's see. He he was okay in nineteen eighty, four point oh two ERA in one hundred ninety two innings. That'll work. But yeah, after that, not so much. But he did win a World Series with the nineteen eighty seven Twins. So screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, I think he did uh, by then. So so did Juan Berner too. Yeah. Who's away? Who is well, Dave Rosemar was not starting. Wait, was he injured? Maybe one? Rosemar made nine starts, but also I picked up three saves. He looked like he finished. He looked like he was just a swing man. What was the year he did the he hurt himself with the karate kick? I guess the twins, I think that was 83 or 82. Okay. Fake. <laughs> Pretty sure it was like 82 or 83. I, I recall that I saw the highlights of that. It was one of the most fascinating kicks I've ever seen in Rosemar. <laughs> Yeah, but I really want to throw this out. We'll, we'll talk about the E1 Tigers another time, but I wanted to, we saved our money for the Patreon, and we did get a, I think we had one donation on PayPal, and we got the vlogger kit. So this will be on our iPhone next year. We got another camera that's, or not a camera, rather, but another little microphone's coming with us soon. So I want to thank everybody who contributed. This is, it. Go, I just want to show you, it goes back into the podcast. I have a new editing software, too, that, I'm putting my own money in that it's helping out. And so everybody that does that, it goes back into the show. We spent some money on getting shirts for some listeners out there. I'm talking about the report. So it, we're just, we're just grateful you guys are listening and, and participating, honestly. And so uh, give thanks because it is Thanksgiving and no shave November. So <laughs> if you do, if you're in that thing, so that's contender November, contender November. Yes. There's also contender November, motorcityangles.com. Check out all the great articles. Check out Uper's article. Chris's two articles on the twins and the Royals. I also will have a piece coming out here in the next couple of days. And again, Alan's been off to often to a good start running. So if you check out his stuff, 
Really appreciate it. And then, yeah, next week, fingers crossed on this guest. I'll tell Uper after we get off the podcast, but so <laughs> that's going to be like regular Uper. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, or a former Milwaukee Brewer outfielder. Nice. Yeah, anyway. yeah so anyway, there's a lot of baseball smart folks out there. They'll probably figure it out. But anyways, great. So have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Have a good week.